Atheists won't sell their souls. I've always found this really interesting. There have been studies where self-declared atheists are brought in for some reason or another and then surprised with an offer. They're given an official looking document and promise 50 bucks if they sign away their soul for eternity. There was also a Simpsons episode about this. I'm not sure which came first, the studies or the episode. Anyway, atheists shouldn't have a problem with this. They don't believe in souls. They've got no use for them. And most say they're happy to do it. But then when the moment comes, when it's time to sign the document, giving their eternal soul away for 50 bucks, very few end up taking the money. Humans are irrational. It's just our nature. There's something deep in all of us that tells us to play it safe rather than do something we believe in if it carries even a little bit of perceived risk. Our instincts aren't always aligned with what we've learned or what we believe, and instincts are strong. Which segues us nicely into week three of the experiment we're currently running, where we pursue a startup idea live on the podcast. Week three is where we actually had to do something hard. And as you might have guessed from the intro, week three is where I didn't trust myself. The cobbler's son has no shoes, atheists keep their souls, and Brian apparently can't follow his own startup advice. Let's get into it. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. You're smack dab in the middle of a short mini-series, an experiment where we're starting a startup on the show. This is the third episode in the series, and it builds a bit on the first two, though you can probably get away with it as a standalone episode if you'd like. And if you're new and don't know what Tacklebox is, if you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, we'll help you validate it and build it before you quit. We've got our 27th cohort of the Accelerator program starting March 31st. Apply at gettacklebox.com. We'll accept people on a rolling basis, so the second you get accepted, we'll shoot you the prereq work so you can hit the ground running when the program starts. And once we're full, we're full. We'll take 12 startups. Other stuff while we're introing, a bunch of people signed up to get the idea resume at gettacklebox.com slash idea resume. We're getting that out to the first group of signups by Friday. It's a fun way to quickly evaluate your startup idea with a few guardrails on to keep you on track. Kind of like bumper bowling. We'll keep you out of the gutter. It's not listed on the website. It's a podcast special. So you've got to type in gettacklebox.com forward slash idea resume, all one word, or I'll just pop it in the show notes for you. And one last thing. I just finished a fantastic book that I'd highly recommend. This isn't sponsored. It's just a book that if you like the podcast, you'll probably like. It's called The Art of Doing Science and Engineering, and it's written by Richard Hamming and has nothing to do really with science and engineering. There's definitely a touch of math, but the book is about how to learn hard things. The title's intimidating. The book is anything but. I'll pop it in the show notes and again, highly recommend. Back to it. So what did I screw up? I'll let you in on a secret. When I started this mini-series, I kind of had the whole thing mapped out in the back of my mind. I was excited to run customer interviews and describe our process and all that, but I'd already basically decided on the product I was going to build. It was simple and objectively kind of cool. It was going to work great for the pod. The product was a deck of cards that founders working on something on the side would keep on their desk. Each card would push the fundamentals force them to think daily about customer, problem, inflection points, channels. It'd be very visual and very shareable. Here's an example of one of the cards. On the front of the card is a question. How will you speak with 25 potential customers this week? It prompts you to spend 15 minutes drafting that out. 
Then the back of the card gives specific tactics, a cold email template, a few examples of niche channels to spur thinking, an example of how another startup did it. Finally, there'd be a Slack channel where people would post what they'd done and chat about more tactics. It'd be a little backdoor into a community of people building things in the margins. I've assumed the interviews would all lead to this product, so I'd get to build it. And it'd be awesome to walk through finding designers on Fiverr or Upwork, building out a supply chain for the actual cards themselves, and launching a Kickstarter campaign on a bunch of growth channels. Bada bing, bada boom, we'd have our mini-series. I was excited. Building products is fun, and it kind of felt like paint by numbers. But that's not how these things go. Not if you want them to actually work. Problem, then customer, then product. That's the formula, and there are no exceptions. I was trying to cut the line. And that's why I started the podcast talking about atheists and souls and all that, to point out the little voice, the one that'll always try to keep you safe, but in doing so, will always keep you from anything truly interesting. I was about to launch a product live in front of thousands of podcast listeners, so you better believe that little voice was trying to make sure I wouldn't make an ass out of myself or any more than normal. And a safe, well-designed product was a guarantee for mediocrity, which is a win for that voice because guaranteed mediocrity means there is no chance at abject failure. Worst case, no one wanted the cards. I'd still get the podcast out and make a few baked by Melissa jokes. We'd all have a laugh. We'd move on. I never would have caught on to this. I never would have caught on to this. Luckily, I've got a COO who did, which brings us to Wednesday. Our COO, Tamara, is also a Tacklebox alum. She went through the program a few years back and still holds the record for most customer interviews done, 250 in four weeks. Not sure anyone's even come within 75 interviews of her. So when I pitched her the Kickstarter idea, after she'd listened to all the interviews I'd recorded, she kindly asked me what the heck I was talking about. She's Australian, so it sounds friendly, but she was definitely kind of pissed. I didn't hear any of that. Are you sure you don't just want to make those cards and you're using this as an excuse to do it? After me putting up a fight for about 30 seconds, I realized that was exactly what I was doing and we dug back into the interviews. The specific problem we'd move forward with had to matter. It had to be urgent. It had to cost a lot to the customer and it had to be painful. Also, the customer we chose had to know it was a problem and be searching for a solution. We had to do this right. There were some hints from our interviews, but nothing jumped out. You listened to them last week. It was a bunch of entrepreneurs with jobs talking about fragmented ways they planned out their work. There was no cohesiveness. That's when we realized we'd only looked at the problem from one angle. Everyone I spoke with was relatively early in their journey. Most still had full-time jobs and were hustling with their idea on the side. Building a startup looks a lot less like a smooth upward curve and a lot more like a flight of stairs. You make no progress for a long time, you bang your head against the wall trying different things, and then something sticks and you make a big jump. Then you're right back to making no progress again. What about talking with people that had gotten past that first step, that one that most founders we interviewed were still mired in? Maybe they could tell us about something that had asymmetric returns for them when they were at that stage. We needed to understand what catalyzed that first jump. So I reached out to a bunch of Tacklebox alums who'd started stuff while they had a full-time job, but had jumped into that second or third step on the staircase and were running legit companies. What had mattered? What made a difference for them early on? I scheduled 10 conversations, but I only needed four. 
and almost oddly consistent answers started coming back. The jump was always made because of a person. Every time. Someone steeped in the industry the founder was trying to break into. Someone who didn't necessarily join the team, but became a resource for the gaps in their knowledge. In some cases, it was a formal advisor, but in most, it was actually just someone who agreed to like one or two 30-minute calls. Business shifts were made from a shockingly short amount of meeting time. When I look at Tacklebox, I actually have the same story. One 30-minute conversation with someone I owe the world to changed the entire trajectory of Tacklebox. The person literally couldn't have charged me enough for those 30 minutes. Everything I've done since has been because of them. Those short meetings led to a few things. In some cases, differentiation. In others, a reality check on which parts of the existing business you could work with and which you couldn't. When Tamara and I circled back to our first batch of interviews, the ones with founders still working on the idea on the side, basically all of them had massive gaps in their knowledge. They were nearly all solo founders, so of course they did. There's only so much you can know. We saw people working on retail companies who had never been merchants or buyers or planners. They had a unique perspective on what their customer wanted, but in a bunch of cases were building a marketplace where one side of that market was totally foreign to them. We had people starting food companies who'd either never worked in the CPG world or never made food. Some were selling direct to consumer and had never done a second of digital marketing or growth. We had founders in the wellness space who had theories and anecdotal evidence about wellness practices and stuff that had certainly worked for them, but nothing rooted in science. When we took a step back, we saw one giant core difference between people who'd gotten to the next step and people who hadn't. It came from the perspective of someone who deeply understood the side of the market they weren't experts in. That was the gap. Maybe it mattered? It's as good a place to start as any. Elon Musk said something the other day that really pissed me off. It wasn't about GameStop or Mars or Bitcoin. We'll leave those to literally every other podcast you listen to, and to Greg. It was about starting companies, my arena, and I guess his too. During a Q&A, Elon was asked something along the lines of, when should people know if a startup idea they have is worth starting or not? He scoffed and said, if you're asking that question, you aren't meant to start a company. He said stuff like this before, and tons of venture capitalists and big-time founders all parrot this same response. If this thing isn't burning so bright inside you that you simply cannot take another breath without dumping everything else in your life and going after it, then you're not the right person to start a business. You're not worthy. All due respect to Elon, but that's just complete survivorship bias horseshit. You definitely need to be passionate about the business you build, but just a few episodes back, we talked about what passion actually is. I'll put the episode in the show notes. It's when you're naturally good at something, better than other people, and can quickly see yourself improving. When you're curious about that thing and get more curious and more interested and more skilled the more you do it. The trajectory is the important thing, not the starting point. The starting point is actually often irrelevant, and the trajectory often takes years to see. No one's passionate about car maintenance or B2B software sales, CRMs. Not at first, but every year they get more passionate the better they get and the more they build. It's a reinforcing loop. It doesn't need to be overwhelming on day one, so stop putting so much pressure on yourself. And stop trying to convince yourself you're endlessly fascinated by high-end storage bins right when you're starting that company. You aren't, and that's fine because you can be eventually. 
I'd argue that endless passion early on isn't necessarily even the best thing. It can cloud and strong arm data. It can certainly keep you from focusing. If I had a York peppermint patty for every founder who came through Tacklebox and failed because they were so passionate that they wanted to help everyone with the problem they were solving and didn't end up focusing on one person to start, I'd be up to my ears in York peppermint patties, which are unquestionably the best mint-based chocolate snack on the market. I put Junior Mint second, but only in movie theaters. Sorry, I'm on day 29 of Whole30 and I think I'm losing my mind. The point is, people don't pursue ideas because they hear this garbage from Elon and assume they aren't passionate enough to even try. This isn't a rocket launch. It's a lightweight test. It's a hypothesis you have that you'll play out and see what comes back. You're testing out your fit with the idea just like you're testing out the idea itself. You don't need to propose on the first date. For us, we think early stage entrepreneurs want targeted mentorship and we're pretty sure in the right situation it'll be incredibly valuable, but think and pretty sure are not the words I want to bet my future on. And so we test. If you've got a hypothesis that's even less baked than this one, test it. It's fine. Practice testing. Practice silencing the little voice that says you need all the answers before you start because your answers are probably going to be wrong anyway. Our hypothesis is that founders working on a startup on the side desperately need mentors to jump that first step and that they know this, they value it, they're seeking it, and they'll pay for it. So before we build anything, before we even think about how this might work and how we might find mentors and what we have to pay them and all the rest, I need one of our customers to try to pay for the value I'm describing. If they won't, nothing else matters. I'm off the hook. If they do, I'll figure out the next piece. And that's where CITs come in. CIT stands for Customer Intent Test. They give customers the opportunity to prove to us that they're worth our time. CITs have a few basic components and the goal most of the time is to collect email addresses. You can and should run a CIT for your startup idea today, like after you listen to this. It shouldn't take more than a few hours to pull together and you shouldn't feel bad that you aren't as passionate about it as Elon says you should be. So what are we pulling together? Five things. First, we need a customer we're testing for. This should be a specific person. Don't create a Franken customer of 11 people you spoke with. Pick someone. They should have a name. Second, we need a channel. As niche as we can possibly get. The more specific the channel, the more likely there are lots of people who are like your perfect customer there. I like channels that are too small for competitors to advertise on. That's your sweet spot. Think a specific Reddit group with a thousand users, not Facebook ads. Third, we need a message. Often this is just something people told us during customer interviews. The more specific it is, the more likely it spurs an email. Fourth, we need a landing page. This sounds hard, but it's not. This is what our potential customer will see when they click on whatever message we write. This is not a website. It's simple, short, and has one opinion. It's built, again, with one person in mind convince them. Finally, we need a call to action. We're going to ask them for their email, most likely. And if we just say, excuse me, we'd like your email, please, you're not going to get it. We need to offer them something compelling in return. And that's it. That's a CIT. Those are the building blocks and the goal is to see if we're onto something. This time frame is build it in a day, run the channel tests over the next few, see what happens. Weekly sprints work best. So, what did our test look like? We ended up running a few tests and I'll tell you about one here on the pod. 
We've gotten a bunch of Tacklebox applications for founders building out tools for businesses, sales tools, HR products, wellness products, that sort of thing. Lots of these founders have deep insight into the problem they're solving, but very few, if any, have ever sold anything to a business before. We identified this as one of the lowest hanging fruit areas, where the smallest amount of hands-on help could lead to the largest amount of value. Again, it's a hypothesis, but someone helping an early stage B2B company create a real sales process, and most importantly, helping them land their first customer would change the trajectory of that company. That outcome is worth our time to build for. So here's our CIT, came up with it in a day. Our customer, a specific alumni I won't name, but he's working on a product he'd sell to businesses to help with remote employee engagement as more companies are deciding to stay remote post-pandemic. He understands the product and has a killer offering, but he's never sold anything. Channel. We're really interested in people searching for this type of mentorship. And the first thing I'd suggest you do if you're looking for a channel is think about what questions your customers might Google, then see if you can buy those search results. But Google AdWords for anything around mentorship is flooded and ridiculously pricey, so we went back to our customer interviews. The customer we're targeting mentioned a few niche newsletters he really liked, and after reaching out to each, we landed on sponsoring a newsletter for early stage founders in New York City for 100 bucks. There are 18,000 subscribers. It runs next week. For messaging, our ad needed to be hyper-targeted. We want most people to be turned off, but the right customers to take action. We had two sentences to do this, and here's what we landed on. You've validated that customers want your B2B startup idea, but you've never sold software before. We'll connect you with a seasoned mentor who will help you establish a trackable, repeatable sales process that'll land you your first customer and the next 10. It's not great. Email me if you got something better. Landing page, we built out a landing page using a tool called Card. It's free and dead simple, and I'll pop it in the show notes. The page basically parrots the messaging from the ad. Your page should do the same. It should stay consistent and reinforce your differentiator. Call to action. The call to action on the page is for startups to, quote, apply. We wanted to put up another gate. We only want serious startups. The more gates, the more people need to show you how valuable they find your solution. Adding some friction can be helpful. And that is our test. Took a day. There's no reason you can't do the same. The little voice in your head that keeps atheists from selling their souls and me from practicing what I preach when the lights are turned up is the same one that's telling you I can't do what I just did. What happens if someone signs up? What if he gets customers? Well, he sounds like an expert. He can do that, but I can't. None of this stuff is rocket science. There's a process to all of it, and you can do it. All of it. Humans drastically overestimate potential risk and drastically underestimate potential reward. All the time. Worst case, no one signs up for my test and I'm out 100 bucks in a few days of work. Best case, we get some traction and we build a marketplace that helps launch thousands of companies. Seems like a good risk to me. We're going to run these tests and a bunch more and we'll record what happens. We'll then release episodes about what happened with the tests. But these first three episodes should help you get to the point of running those tests, which is farther than 99% of all other startups ever get. You and your idea are worth that. The tests are cheap, fast, and fun as hell when they start to work. Give them a shot. If you've got questions or if you're interested in beta testing the mentor product or if you want to kick around what a test might look like, as always, brian at gettacklebox.com is good. 
Next week, we'll be back to our regular story-based episodes for a few weeks while we crank on these tests in the background. Then we'll update you. Have a great week. This was the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by York Peppermint Patties. I've got about 36 more hours until I can have a York Peppermint Patty. I've never been so excited about anything in my life. York Peppermint Patty, not actually a sponsor, but actually one hell of a candy.